right, good morning everybody. We are glad that you're going to join us virtually this morning at Southwest Christian Church on this second Sunday of Advent. As many of you know, unfortunately we had someone on our staff who tested positive for COVID-19 and so we had some people who were exposed um, to that. So we just, out of safety for everyone, decided to go virtually today. And our leadership decided that would be best. So that's what we're doing. So we're glad that you're going to join us this morning. Uh, as I said, on this second Sunday of Advent, as we prepare for the Advent season. Now I'm going to walk down and uh, light our candles for today. Last week, if you remember, we lit the candle of hope. I'm going to go ahead and light that one. And then today we're going to also light the candle of love. And we light the second candle, the candle of love, knowing that Jesus is the ultimate expression of that love of God. And we know what love is because Jesus shows it to us. And the Apostle John in his letter, his first letter, chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, I want to read that to us this morning in preparation. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Without Christ's love, we would have nothing. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ's love that has come into the world. So this morning, I want to share with you a message in this second Sunday of Advent called learning to be second. And in our world and in our culture, we all want to be first, don't we? We want to be at the top. We want to be at the head of the line. We want to be receiving the attention and the admiration of success and being the best. But when a talented musician uh, or a talented athlete or a top CEO is interviewed and asked about their mission or their vision or their goals or their career, for their team, or their company, or their career, you never hear someone say this, I want to work really hard and do all I can to be the second best player in the league, and help our team be the second best team in the league. You never hear that. You never hear a CEO say, I want to invest in this company and work as hard as I can, so that I can be the second best CEO in my industry, and we can be the second best company in our industry. You never hear anybody say that. Second place, as someone once said, is just the first loser in our world. But God's kingdom is a kingdom of standards that defy our human thinking and turn our worldly standards upside down. When we think about Advent, when we think about the arrival, the coming of the Savior, the Messiah into the world, we see a clear mission and a vision and a goal. And that is to save all of humanity from their sins. But in reaching that goal, Jesus taught not that we should strive to be first ourselves, but that God's kingdom should be what we seek first. And in doing that, we must learn what it means to be second, as Jesus exemplified. 
Last week, James White introduced us to the Advent season and the things that go along with the Advent season. He shared how this period throughout history has helped people see and experience the coming of Jesus into the world in a more focused way. And last week, the hope candle was lit, a reminder, a reinforcement that Jesus' arrival into a dark world of despair for many brought that much-needed hope. And today, as you heard me read from John's first letter and talk about this candle we lit this morning representing love, and as you heard the Apostle John share in his first letter, what love was and is, that God loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, love is spelled I-N-C-A-R-N-A-T-I-O-N. You're going, what? What did you just spell? I spelled incarnation. How does a four-letter word like love turn into an 11-letter word like incarnation? Well, incarnation was God in living form, in the form of Jesus. And God is love, as John also told us. God's love for humanity was certainly expressed in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant as we know well. And yet His love in that covenant was rejected was unappreciated and was broken time and time again. And God knew that it would happen. He knew that um, that old covenant would lead to necessity ultimately to another new covenant. And the old covenant certainly included God's love, but it required proper behavior in return to last. The new covenant was different, that proper behavior that no human could ultimately display in real life consistently was displayed by God himself. And God displayed that proper behavior in Emmanuel, God with us, in the life of Jesus. Jesus was born of a woman. He grew up. He developed just like we do and displayed what it meant to truly love God and love people consistently, every day, every action, and in every way. Jesus' teaching and behavior awed many people and made them want to know, is this the Savior? Is this the come the promised Messiah that is to come into the world. Others who heard his teaching and saw his behavior reacted very differently. They did not ask, is this the Savior or is this the Messiah? They simply said, Jesus couldn't be the Messiah or the Savior. Why? Why would they have this response? Jesus' explanation of what kingdom, God's kingdom was like was not the kingdom they had created. Their kingdom gave them power through the, the appearance that they behave properly under the old covenant. But Jesus' teaching resonated with the common people because they knew, they admitted that they could not behave properly under that old covenant. And they longed to be saved from the heavy load of that old covenant. Jesus' teaching about God's kingdom included them rather than excluded them and gave them hope. It showed and reflected God's heart and love for all people. But those who denied Jesus as the Messiah and Savior had created a kingdom of their own, a kingdom of hypocrisy. And their version of God's kingdom was exclusive. It was only for a small club of insiders, insiders who knew the rules and pretended that they were consistent in living out those rules of the old covenant. They acted as if they did not need a Savior because they didn't need saving because they were good enough on their own. So today I want to read a text from 
Luke's gospel that shares with us a character who learned what it meant to be second in his life for the sake of the kingdom. And that character is John the Baptist. So I'm going to read from Luke's gospel, chapter 3, verses 3 through 17. And again, we're talking about John the Baptist here. Starting in verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What shall we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share the one with the one who has one or none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come and the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. You see, John was part of the Advent story. He was family. He was born just before Jesus, as we read in the Gospels. He would be the one who prepared the way for Jesus. God, John understood what it was to be second. In our text, Luke tells us what John the Baptist did. It was right along with what God had planned as we read from the prophet Isaiah and what God had called him to do from the very beginning. Make straight the path so all people will see God's salvation. In the ancient world, when a king would come to a town or a city, before that there would be this preparation period in trying to make all of the roads and paths on his way to that city or that town to be smoothed out, any rough patches, any holes filled in to make it very smooth for the king's travel. And interestingly enough, even today, when we think about the presidential motorcade, when it's coming into town, it is cleared. There are roads closed off. Police escort is given in making a way for the president's coming as smooth as possible. And you may have noticed that John's approach to those who came to hear him was certainly not sugar-coated with his message. It was not a touchy-feely message that he gave to them. He was not running for a political office or some sort of a popularity contest. John told it as God gave it to him. He stressed that repentance is not just a feeling or some words. 
as we say, it is life change. And there must be fruit, he said, to show that life change is real and authentic in one's life. He made that clear just because you were not an Israelite or that you were an Israelite did not let you off the hook from repenting and producing that life-changing fruit in your life. He compared people to trees and they were either producing fruit or not producing fruit. And if they did not produce, they would be cut down and thrown into the fire. Then Luke shares something very interesting to me. He does not share that people left mad or offended at what John said. He tells us about those who wanted to do what was next. They wanted to know, what are we supposed to do now? We've heard this message of repentance, John. What do we do next? So they asked, what should we do then? And John answered, anyone, again, who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And he said, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And he told them, don't collect any more than you're required to. Then soldiers came and said, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. For each of those groups, John had an answer of how they were to repent and to produce fruit. And did you hear how they responded to John's answer to what they should do? Luke tells us this. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. The people were doing something we should be doing during Advent. Waiting expectantly. For what? The Messiah. They could see in their world in that uh, first century in their culture, in their lives, that something was not as it should be. They anticipated God's intervening in all of this with the promised Messiah. And then notice, as they were waiting expectantly, they were also, Luke tells us, wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Now notice, they didn't ask this out loud. They weren't wondering this out loud as they did earlier when they asked John, what should we do? They were wondering, Luke tells us, in their hearts. Do you know what that means, wondering in your hearts? Well, of course you do. We've all wondered in our hearts. We look around at our broken world and we wonder in our hearts, where is the Messiah? Where is the Savior in all of this? There was a longing in their hearts, as there is a longing in our hearts to be saved But not just to be saved, but to be truly known, to be truly loved and restored to God our Creator. And deep down in the wondering of our hearts, we know we can't fix it ourselves. We know we can't save ourselves. And again, I want to emphasize that they did not express this out loud, but Luke says they wondered in their hearts, just like we do maybe today. And yet John the Baptist knew this wondering Without them saying it out loud, how did John know? How did he know they were wondering in their hearts if he was to be the Messiah that was to come? Well, I believe it's obviously through the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that was in John the Baptist. that had led John to prepare the way for the very Savior that they needed and we needed. And John answered them all, I'll baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. 
John makes clear, it's not me. I'm second. I may have come first, but I am second. I am not the Messiah. I'm not worthy to even untie the straps of his sandals. And I'm going to baptize you in this water for repentance. But Jesus is coming and he's going to baptize you with something called the Holy Spirit. What does this all have to do with Advent and the coming of Jesus for us today? Hasn't Jesus already come? Well, of course he's already come. But as we have entered into this season of Advent, as we put out our nativity scenes and we put that little baby Jesus in the middle of it, in that manger, and we sing away in a manger, and we read our Advent devotionals, hopefully you're reading those, we are hopefully remembering how it all started. Not just Jesus as a baby in the manger, but even further back than that, all the way to Genesis, the beginning, chapter 3, where we have fallen. All of us have fallen. We've rejected God's presence in our life. Oh, sure, we want him around when we want him around, but we want him around just when we need something. And we've fallen for the lie that we can be like God and we can do life without him for the most part. But as we find out, as Adam and Eve did, there is this wondering in our hearts, this longing to be restored to the very presence, to the very intimate relationship with God that they first had as God always wanted and always intended with us. But we can't do it under the old covenant. And we can't do it with our failed attempts of behavior modification. We need a Savior who we are told is Christ the Lord. So we look at the baby in the manger and we see love, a God who came and became second for us. Paul said it like this in his letter to the Philippians. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus made himself nothing for me, for you, for all of mankind, for every human that has ever been or ever will be. That's hard to wrap our heads around, isn't it? But that's love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. So as we look at the baby in the manger this Advent season, may God prepare our wondering and our wandering hearts. May he remind us that in the midst of our broken world, that Jesus came as a baby into this broken world, as Scripture tells us, at just the right time. Not primarily for a political or social mess, but from our own personal sin that separated us from relationship with Him. And our wandering hearts are longing for His return. We can be assured that His second advent, His second arrival, His second coming will come just like the first in God's perfect timing. In the meantime, we are to be reflecting on God's love as being very much like John the Baptist was as Mary and Joseph were, as the shepherds were, as the wise men were, as Jesus was, second. He put 
himself second. All of those characters of the Christmas story, of the Advent story, put themselves second. And why did they do that? To make God's kingdom first. And that's what God calls us to do during this Advent season.